How are y'all? You guys know rock, paper, scissors? Do rock, paper, scissors with me. Okay, are you going to do one, two, go? Or are you going to do rock, paper, scissors, go? Shoot. Okay, I'd say go. I, I, this is all foreign to me. I've never learned the four thing. Ready? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Okay, we tied. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Ah, <laughs> I won. So you know what used to happen in school when we played that? It was a more brutal time. <laughs> Every time we lost one of those rock, paper, scissors things, they got to slap your wrist. So they would, they would hurt you, and, and that's, that's not good. So I'm not saying that's how it should go. That's not how it should go. We have become a little more civilized in schools now, and that's good. Uh, Man, I can't believe like the stuff I remember in school, how much of that you can't do anymore, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, when we did that, it was, it was kind of a way of showing strength and that kind of stuff. And, and nowadays, I mean, there's kids in school who want to show strength to other kids, right? I mean, they act all tough or they may say mean words, that kind of thing. Or they may actually like hit you or do something physical to you to hurt you and that's awful, and that's because they're trying to show strength and have like a higher position. But we're going to look at a little story from Jesus today of how he showed his strength. And it happened in uh, Mark 1, I think. It's the story of when he went to the temple. That's like a church. He went to the church to teach, to teach the word of God there. And while he was there, there was this guy there who had an evil spirit inside of him. And when Jesus got close to him, the spirit didn't like that. And so he shouted out, what do you want with us, Jesus? Are you here to destroy us? And they said, you, we know who you are. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and, and said, hush. You know, I don't want, uh, you be quiet. And then he said, come out. And the spirit just came out. And left the man. And everybody who was there was blown away. I mean, they were like, wow, he is strong, really strong. And he used his strength to take care of that man. And if we look at the example of Jesus using strength, he used it, right, to help people. He used it to make lives better. He used it to, um, to love people. And so... As we go through our lives, and we all have strength, we all have strength. God has created us strong with gifts. As we go through life, we use Jesus as our example. We don't want to use strength in a bad way. We don't want to use it to be mean to people, to tear people down, to make them feel bad. We want to use the strength that God has given us to help people and to make people feel loved and to make them feel good about themselves, right? So let's use Jesus as our example of strength today, right? Can we pray together? Let's pray. God, help us all to use Jesus as our example, to live our lives like Jesus would, and to love as Jesus did. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. So one miracle has already happened. I got up. <laughs> That's a long way down. Um, last week we finished up 1 John. Um, so we finished up the book of 1 John. And next week we start a series on family. 
And whether or not you're married or single or divorced, separated or an empty nester, whatever status you find yourself in, please be here for the family series. We are all part of a family and we're all part of the family of God. And so this, this series coming up will have a whole lot to say to all of us. So I hope you'll be here for the next four weeks, starting next week for that. This week, um, I just want to talk a little bit about hope. I want to talk about hope. Uh, we don't get a lot of good news <laughs> these days. Uh, the media loves it. I mean, they deal in fear and sensationalism. They use all kinds of adjectives that I noticed all through the pandemic. It's like um, words like skyrocket and overwhelmed and, you know, inundated or, you know, or overrun. Words like that coming out of the media to where the, the actual story in some cases was that. In some cases it wasn't that bad. But the media loved to kind of blow things out of proportion. Social media likes to bring us into comparison. Like I've always noticed that social media causes us to compare ourselves with other people. Um, a lot of times you see people in there saying how, how their family's doing and all the stuff they're doing and, you know, they, they, they have these, these great things they're doing and, and it kind of brings guilt on the rest of us who feel like we don't measure up to that standard or, or, or whatever it may be. But what with fear coming from the media, comparison coming from social media, um, the economy, recession, housing market, supply chain, the pandemic, whatever it may be, we need hope today. We need hope. I don't know, are you anxious? Are you depressed? Are you worried about stuff that happens? I would say that would be normal. I would say that'd be warranted in some cases, but it generally affects us negatively. It really does. Um, we might need to be a little bit more like the little boy who was playing a little league game. And this man had come there to watch the game and he came in late, didn't know what the status of the game was, so he walked over to the dugout and leaned over and asked this little boy, hey, what's the score? And the kid said, it's 18 to nothing, we're behind. And the guy said, man, I'm sorry, you must be really frustrated. The kid said, why? We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> so I mean, like, that's, that's, that's how we need to be. We need to get a hold of the hope that we have. Um, it's interesting to see the writers of the Psalms and they struggle through things. They, they, they struggle to hold on to that hope in the face of great adversity in a lot of times. We're going to look at a Psalm like that this morning, but it's encouraging that they deal with the same kind of things that we do. You know, the writers of the Psalms, you can see our lives in their lives. You can see our struggles in their Struggles, because we might be sinners saved by grace, but we still struggle to hold on to hope when the world is dark, when the world doesn't give us much earthly reason for it. We need to acknowledge that struggle. We need to own it. Otherwise, we might give up the fight for hope. And that's a dangerous place to be. If we don't, hold, if we don't acknowledge our struggle and fight for hope, there's a true story um, about a town, a little town, that through all kinds of arrangement had been decided that it was going to be flooded to create a reservoir uh, right where it sat. And where I came from in Colorado, that's actually 
very close to home. There was a reservoir above Fort Collins, Colorado, where we lived called Horsetooth Reservoir. At the bottom of that reservoir was a little town um, that the state, I guess, bought whatever they have to do in order to flood that and make that reservoir. Um, and the little, this little town in particular was in the same situation and like a few months, like six months before they were scheduled to be flooded to create this reservoir, they quit making re improvements, right? I mean, what's the point of paving roads and painting houses and all that kind of stuff when they're just going to get flooded? And so the town slowly kind of fell into this disrepair and got really shabby looking. Um, and the, the, the truth that came out of that story as I read it was that when there's no hope in the future, there's no power in the present. When there's no hope in the future, there's no power in the present. And that's a really dangerous place to be. It might be where you are today. Uh, it's where I've been before. Let's just examine biblical hope and see what it is and move on from there. Uh, like I said, we're going to look at a psalm. We're going to look at Psalm 42. And this psalm will probably partially be um, familiar to you. It's as the deer pants for water. Uh, it's the psalm that begins that way. So let's read it together. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Hope doesn't come naturally to us as sinners. Um, but we're talking about hope today in the hope <laughs> that when you're facing what the writers of the Psalms face, you hold on to that hope, the hope that we have in Jesus. And what's the writer facing? I mean, he's facing a lot of stuff. He's facing spiritual dryness when he says, my soul thirsts for God. He faces sadness. My tears have been my food. Separation from his spiritual family. I used to go to the house of God, he said. Being overwhelmed. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Forgotten by God. Feeling forgotten by God. Why have you forsaken me? 
and having enemies. My foes taunt me, he says. Anyone here in today's context facing the same kinds of things? Anyone here feel that kind of opposition, that kind of sadness, that kind of being overwhelmed? It's good that you're here. It's good that, that, that I, we're here together talking about that. And the best advice that we could possibly get is in Psalm 42, 5. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Now, as human beings, in our language, there's kind of three ways we use the word hope. And um, the, this, the first one is a desire for something good in the future. You might say something like, I hope dad gets home early so we can play catch. You know, something like that. Hoping something happens so that something good can happen in the future. Or we might look at a good thing in the future that we're desiring. For example, I hope you get home safely. You know, where safe arrival is the object of our hope. Or we might have a reason our desire will happen. We have hope in the reason it will happen. We might say something like, a lot of rain is our only hope for avoiding a drought. Rain is the reason we may, achieves, we may achieve that future good. And all of these uses of hope are in the English language. They're all also in the Bible. Uh, but the most important usage of hope in the Bible isn't present in these three. And in fact, the distinctive biblical meaning of hope is almost the exact opposite of these three. Ordinarily, when we use hope, we express uncertainty, Right? When we, when we use the word hope, we're expressing an uncertain thing. I hope dad gets home early. We don't know if he'll get home early. I hope you get home safely. I mean, we don't know if you will or not, but we certainly hope so. Um, a lot of rain. We don't know if it's going to rain, but we hope for it so we can avoid a drought. So usually when we express hope, we're expressing this uncertainty, and uncertainty drains us. It brings us doubt. It takes away our peace. And you can see that, right? In our walks with God, we see over and over how doubts arise, how, how sadness arise when our hope in God is an uncertain hope. It's like, I wonder if God will versus I hope that God will with the hope of Jesus. Okay, so there's... It creates doubt in us, and, and the enemy loves it. And the more of that doubt and, and uncertainty and draining in us that we have, the more unhealthy we become. The more unhealthy we become in our walks of faith and even physically. So we need a certain level of hope that overcomes this usual way we think about hope. So biblical hope, yes, it is a desire for something but it's a desire for and a confident expectation of something in the future. It's a desire for and a confident expectation of something in the future. Biblical hope not only desires it, it expects it. And beyond that, it's confident that it'll happen. It's confident that it will happen. And just as a, as a measuring stick, how, how many times... Do we like even avoid praying for something because we just don't think God's going to do that? Right? That is a lack of biblical hope. Maybe we pray 
like maybe here in front of you, maybe I pray, pray a prayer, a bold prayer, but in my mind, I'm creating the arguments I'm going to use to excuse God from having to do it. Don't we? It's like, this is why God probably won't answer that. So yes, we could pray against God's will and his answer may be no or whatever, maybe until later or whatever. But when we go before God, we, we should have a confident expectation. That's, that's who our hope is in. Our hope is in Jesus. Okay? The beauty and the simplicity of Psalm 42 is seen this way. It says, here's my current condition. Okay? First of all, he establishes a current condition. Psalm 42, the first three verses, says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. We've been there, right? Haven't you yearned for him? When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? See, he doesn't deny his current condition. He doesn't cover it up. He doesn't put on a mask. He owns it. He admits where he is right now. So where are you right now? Where are you in this right now? The second thing Psalm 42 does, it shows us to look backwards. It says, I need to look backwards. Look at 42, verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He reminds himself of how he's experienced God in the past. When was the last time you experienced the goodness of God? Hopefully, you have to sift through a lot of things. You know, you have, there's so many things to choose. When was the last time you experienced the goodness of God? Remember them. Remember them. Why? Because that gives us confidence. That shows us God's there. He's at work. Remember the goodness of God in your past. And then finally, make a declaration for the future. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Despite the circumstances, He declares that He will praise God. I'm going to praise God. He encourages Himself. He's not saying I'm going to cross my fingers and hope for the best here, right? No, He's not doing that. He's saying, I'm expecting great things from God. Are you? Are you expecting great things from God? No, we're usually not. I would, I would wager we're usually not. We're too afraid to. We're too afraid to. What if he doesn't do it? What if he doesn't do what I ask? What if, what if my hope in him, he goes a different direction? It's scary. Hope is scary, yes, but... We can choose. We will praise Him. We will put our hope in Him. For who knows better than He what to do? Who knows better than He what plan to make? What timing for all of this? Whatever it may be. If, you're if you encourage yourself with the goodness that God has done in the past, then you'll praise Him even when your soul is downcast. Even when you're hurting, you will praise Him even when everything around you disturbs you. 
you will praise your God. So Psalm 42 is like this rescue mission for all of us. It's like you're on a hike with this 30-pound pack on your back, and you're doing okay, but you can see the summit, but you're not there, and you can't make it. You cannot carry it, and somebody comes along and takes that pack from you and carries it for you the rest of the way, and you can make it. It's a rescue mission like that. We all need a rescue mission for our weary souls from time to time. We just need that. So I hope you let Psalm 42 minister to you in whatever you might be facing. Just, Just read that. Acknowledge and own your current condition, the current status of your heart. Remember the good things God has done and then make a declaration for the future. God, I will praise you. I don't have a clue what you're doing but I will praise you, okay? I want to look at one other passage today. Uh, It's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to 29. I want to see how Paul dealt with the hardship of being a Christ follower um, and how he put his hope in God. So Colossians 1, 24 to 29, let's read that. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So we can see in this letter, Paul's contending. Okay, being a Christ follower is not easy. It's hard. It's a day in, day out living for God's glory. That's what being a Christ follower is. So, as Christ followers, we need that sustaining, persevering hope of God. We need that hope. Remember Jesus' words in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 20 to 21. Jesus says, Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. We will be persecuted because Jesus was. If we are Christ followers, we will be persecuted just like he was. A lot of times we become Christians, we'll think it'll be better than it was before, but so much in the Bible talks about how the enemy renews his efforts when we come to Christ how the enemy comes against us, how we face things as Christ followers. God doesn't just sweep everything aside and let us cruise through life. There are things we encounter that God allows that build our character and our perseverance and our hope. It's not the case. Life is tough. Matthew 24, verses 4 to 9. Jesus speaking again. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. 
Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Swell. <laughs> this is not meant to be discouraging, but it's a reality check. Jesus has said, watch out. Watch out. The world is not a hospitable place to a Bible-believing, truth-living Christian. It's not. It's just not. This amplifies Paul's words in Colossians when he said, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I, I sometimes wonder if people know what they're signing up for when they become a Christian. I mean, I have seen people stop serving because someone was rude to them. I've seen people leave a church for any of 20,000 reasons that, you know, that just they didn't get their way. They didn't get their preference. It wasn't what they were looking for. I've seen people leave a church for that. I've heard of pastors who leave just because of the criticism and that kind of thing. Uh, I haven't been a pastor really long enough to encounter a lot of that, but as a worship leader... <laughs> It's funny, but yeah, as a worship leader, I encountered a lot of criticism. Uh, songs were too long. Songs were too short. We don't sing hymns. We sing too many hymns. The songs are too loud. The songs aren't loud enough. You know? Whatever the criticism, keep going. Whatever the criticism, keep going. I get that, but then Paul says this, rejoice. In the, in, in the face of all this, and you just kind of want to smack him, but he's right. He's right. Rejoice in the face of this because we're going to see here in a minute, Paul does for himself what he also does for us. He's reminding us of something. And it's in Colossians 1, verse 25. I have become its servant, the word of God, its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Paul reminds himself that he's received a greater call. He's received a greater call that he has to be faithful to. He's been commissioned by God. And you know what? So have we. You and I, we've been commissioned by God. When you put your faith in Jesus, you were commissioned into an army. You were enlisted into the army of God. You have been gifted to minister in this world. And you fulfill your calling by relying on the Holy Spirit and trusting God to work through you. That's how you do it. You've been appointed by Jesus to do whatever He has given you to do. So do it joyfully with awe. The God of the universe wants to use you. The God of the universe wants to minister through you. So seek to glorify God who brought you back from sin and death. When you're invited to serve in the church, we're not trying to do, get something from you. We're trying to do something for you. We're trying to do something for you. We're trying to give you a place where you can minister using the gifts God has given you and experience God working through you when you're serving in your sweet spot. So we're trying to do something for you. It's not really about fulfilling you, although it will happen. When you're serving where God wants you to be, it's fulfilling. But the ultimate goal is to bring glory to God. Glory and exaltation to God through your service. It's worth it when you do that. 
So when you're beat up and you're criticized and you're pushed around and that kind of stuff, rejoice that you're doing what God's called you to do. Rejoice like Paul rejoices. You're commissioned by God to do what you're doing. And then finally, we look at Colossians chapter 1, that last verse in there, verse 27. To them, referring to Gentiles, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So now at the time Paul wrote this, this was a massive, glorious event for the Gentiles. But I think like over the years and in a different culture, we, it may have faded a little bit for us when we hear this. But before Jesus' death on the cross, before his death and resurrection opened the gospel to both the Jews and the Gentiles, Gentiles were second-class citizens. They were second-class citizens. They could become part of the Jewish faith, but they could only enter the outer court of the temple, the court of women and Gentiles, is what it was called. They couldn't go into the inner court and they could only watch worship. They couldn't take part. So when Paul says this is open to you, this was a massive thing to the Gentiles. Jesus changed everything. And Paul expounds on this in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 12 to 14, Paul says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, Christ Jesus, who you once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility." Jesus did this. He broke the wall down. Now we, Gentiles, Jews, we can fellowship together. We can worship God together. We can be partakers of the same promises together. This is, a, this is encouraging. Once we were separated by sin, but we confessed our sin and repented from it, and we were forgiven through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we were placed in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, and Jesus in us by the Holy Spirit. The hope of glory is that we're abiding in Jesus and that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. Paul is saying that the riches of the glory of the gospel is Christ in you. That's the riches of the glory of God of the gospel. That's why our hope is expectant and confident. That's why biblical hope is expectant and confident. Now I understand we all want to live in our safe places. I do too. We all want to live where we're not stretched, where we're not made uncomfortable, that kind of thing. It, it might be more comfortable to only attend worship when you've got nothing else going on. You know, it might be more comfortable to do that. It might be more comfortable to not serve in any of the ministries within the church because then you won't be tied here and you can not come until you feel like you want to. It might be more comfortable to give financially only if there's a little bit of something left at the end of the month or to not give at all might be more comfortable to ignore the needs of other people when you see them around you because it would be inconvenient. I get that. I've been there. I've made some of those decisions myself. But it's like going sailing, you know, in a way. You go to the lake. There's a dock there. There's a sailboat there. So you go down the dock, you hop in the sailboat, and you sit there. You don't put up the sails. You don't release the ropes. You don't go out into open water. 
in essence, you don't go sailing. You don't go sailing. You're safe. You're safe right there at the dock. You're sitting in the boat. The dock's right there. If a storm comes up, you can just hop out. You're safe. But the sailboat is created to go out into open water. The sailboat is created to fill its sails and move. We are created to fill our sails with the breath of God and move according to his will and direction. There's a story, a true story. I wouldn't tell you a story that was false. There's a true story of a millionaire who was asked to speak to 59 sixth graders at an inner city school. He was a good speaker. That's why he was asked. Um, but he wondered, like, what, what could I say to make these kids hear me? What could I say when most of these kids expect to drop out anyway, when they don't have really any hope for the future? What could I say? So he went in there, and he just scrapped his notes. He just spoke from his heart, and he said, Kids, stay in school. He said, stay in school and I will pay your college tuition. Stay in school and I will pay your college tuition. And everything changed for those kids at that moment. Everything changed. Their lives were changed. For the first time, they had what? They had hope. They had hope. In fact, one student said this, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. And I tell that story because that's what we have. That's what we have. I'm sorry, I blubber sometimes. I, I cry when the Steelers lose. But I do a lot of crying. Um, that's okay, but... Do you hear that? Isn't that our hope? I had something to look forward to. There's something waiting for us. It's a golden feeling. It's a golden feeling. God has paid our tuition. God has paid us. We have certain hope. That's what we're created for. That's what Jesus died for. That's why God raised him from the dead to give hope to people who have no hope, who have nothing to rely on in this world. And he's like, that's right where I want you to be, here. I'm paying your tuition. If your hope is based on uncertainty, if it's just a wish more than a certainty, you'll remain tied at the dock. You won't sail. You won't feel God working through you. You won't know the joy of that. But if you're abiding in Jesus, if you're abiding in Jesus, then you have expectant, confident hope. Your life is full of this glorious expectation of seeing God work through you, of feeling His power in you, working to bring glory to His name. It's not a safe hope. It calls you to get out in open water, put up the sails, release the ropes, sail. But what you'll be able to say is I have something to look forward to. There's something waiting for me. 
It's a golden feeling. It's a golden feeling. It's the glorious hope of belonging to the family of God. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to hope in you. Help us to act upon this hope. It's hard, God. It is so hard because it makes us trust sometimes things we cannot see. It makes us put a faith in you when we don't understand your ways. It makes us put our hope in you when we can't predict your actions very well. So forgive us, God, when we make excuses for you, when we're fearful of coming to you for the fear that you won't do anything or you won't answer like we want you to. Forgive us, God, for hanging back in the safety of the dock instead of stepping forward and sailing having our winds filled by the Holy Spirit and the breath of God and just knowing the glory of seeing you work through us, mere mortals, broken human beings, used by the God of the universe. So God, help us to take hold of hope, that confident expectation of all of your promises. We love you, God. We thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Make us more and more like your son, Jesus. Help us to walk according to your ways. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And Lord God, as we prepare to take communion today, I pray that you will help us, Lord, to forgive anyone we need to forgive. I pray that you will help us to ask forgiveness for any sin in our life and prepare our hearts soberly to take part in this remembrance of your death until you come. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. There is no greater indication of hope than the fact that we share this together. Has everybody got a cup? He's coming around now. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Jesus came and he died for our sins and he was resurrected anew. And because of that, we have hope. Because of that, we have a confident expectation. So on the night that he was betrayed, he was with his disciples. He was having the last meal he would have with his disciples. And after the meal, he, he took, the, took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body broken for you. Remember me when you eat. So if you'll take that wafer from the top of your cup and hold it. The body of Christ broken for you. Then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Remember me when you drink. So let's take the cup, the blood of Christ shed for you. Just take the time to sit in quiet contemplation.
Lord, we are moved by your love and your grace and your mercy. We remember that you came and you walked among us and you taught us how to live. We remember the ridicule and the scorn that you endured for us. We remember that you were crucified, died, and buried. We remember that on the third day you rose again. You triumphed over sin and death. And through faith in you, we triumph over sin and death as well. We thank you, God. We thank you, God, for all that you have done for us. Not the least of that is, is, the, is the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you walk with us each and every day. We thank you that you have a plan for us. We thank you that you invite us out into open water. We thank you that through your word and the truth spoken there, revealed by the Holy Spirit, you invite us to know this confident hope that we have in you through Jesus. So thank you, God. We are so grateful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.